Redbox Media Programming is brought to you by... Are you looking to serve God and society? Consider putting your gifts to work as a lawyer. Ave Maria School of Law has been educating faith-filled lawyers for over 20 years. Ave Maria School of Law is committed to training lawyers to use law appropriately around the moral issues of our time. Visit AveMariaLaw.edu to learn more about integrating your faith with a law degree. Looking for a way to build daily prayer discipline? Seen the rise in mindfulness meditation, but not sure if it is possible to meditate in a way that's consistent with your Catholic faith? Just looking for a way to breathe new life into your existing prayer routine? No matter what you're looking for, Hollow is here to help. Hollow is a Catholic prayer and meditation app that helps users deepen their relationship with God through audio-guided contemplative prayer sessions. From meditations on the daily gospel to the rosary to daily examines, Hollow has something for everyone. Hollow is the number one Catholic app in the U.S. It is free to download and has permanently free content, but you can also check out all of the premium sessions for 30 days, risk-free, by signing up at www.hollow.app slash breadbox. One, two, three, listen. Welcome to Shoot the Shiitake Podcast with me, Father Leo Padalinghug, a Catholic priest on a mission to bring people of all different backgrounds together to learn, to love, and accept one another Even if we disagree, we've got to be willing to listen to each other as God does with us and as God expects for us to do with each other. And this podcast is not about the deep technical things of the Catholic faith, but rather how to make it practical simply by listening to each other. And this week, I have the pleasure of listening to Chef Andrew Gruel. I go into a deep dish discussion with this restaurant chef. He calls himself a seafood guru and sandwich junkie, chef and owner of Slapfish, and more notably recently, a real advocate for people in the hospitality industry who've been suffering because of the COVID closures. And so if you want to support this podcast, please go to the website platinggrace.com, click on donate, or better yet, become a member of the Academy where with a small monthly donation, you can get access to premium content and special perks. But for now, please join me and my guest, Chef Andrew Gruel of Slapfish, as I dive into a deep dish discussion and we shoot the shiitake. And welcome back to Shoot the Shiitake with me, Father Leo. And it is great to have Chef Andrew Gruel of Slapfish. Chef Andrew, thanks for being part of this. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Oh, no, I appreciate it. So tell me a little bit about your approach to food. And then we're going to jump right into the amazing work that you're doing. So tell me about your food. Well, my approach to food is I try and eat as much of it as I can. The, uh, <laughs> my but you're co- like so skinny though. I mean, it's unbelievable. Uh, duct tape. It's all duct tape. Okay, once good, once I cut the tape, 
it's it like all a, comes out. It's like a glass of spilled milk. Where, where do you get that tape? Yeah. Uh, anyway, keep going. Uh, but, you know, my culinary approach to food, or at least the, the mantra for Slapfish is to take dishes that everybody knows, mm-hmm. right? Comfortable dishes. We're not trying to over-intellectualize anything. And then just add our own spin, our own flavor. Maybe change one ingredient, add some seafood, maybe take it over the top with uh, perhaps a presentation. But keep it clean. Keep it simple. Make sure the flavors still shine. Make it memorable, crave-worthy, drool-worthy, all of those worthiness items. And there you have it. Well, I just ate your drool-worthy food, and I'm still actually drooling. I actually just confessed to Chef that I want to commit gluttony. So thank (laughs) you very much. Now tell me, where did you get your passion for food? Because you can taste passion, and I can even hear it in the voice and when you talk about it. Where did you get that? Well, I grew up, uh, both my parents were working very, very hardworking family, out the door at 7 a.m., back home 11 p.m. From Jersey. From Jersey. I wouldn't say I was a latchkey child, but I certainly was uh, in a generation where we microwaved a lot of food, we hit a lot of fast food places, mm-hmm. and at a young age, I became obsessed with PBS cooking shows. Jan Kahn Cook, yeah. Lydia Bastianich, um, you know, um, all of those good old school, I call them dump and stir sure. cooking shows. Yeah. And... I used to actually not go to school when I felt sick or thought I felt sick or wanted to tell mom I felt sick. And I would stay home and I would watch these cooking shows all day and I would actually try and recreate the dishes, the items, and make a mess in the kitchen. And that was really where it started. It was the kind of that culinary bite. And it was out of necessity, not to say like we were starving, but it was just no one was cooking in our household. So okay. I took it upon myself to make that my hobby. And so tell me about your family background. Was it just you or would you have siblings? I've got one sister, two parents. Um, you know, it was just the four of us in the family. And, uh, you know, every- but, but you were the one who gravitated to cooking because mom didn't do much cooking? Oh, no, or? no, not at all, not at all. Microwave generation. So if it could be frozen and microwaved, it was in our kitchen. Do you remember the first bite that made you think, God bless us, I want to become a chef? My dad used to take me out to eat with him all the time. He worked in the hospitality world, right? Uh, not not directly, but kind of indirectly. And that resulted in a lot of dinners out, etc. So um, I think it was in New York City. We, he took me to a place to eat. I was maybe 14 or 15 and the only thing on the menu that I was really able to eat, it was a bistro, and it was like a cassoulet. <laughs> and it was that duck confit sure. with the white beans baked into it, uh, just unbelievably rich. And it was that bite where I said, wow, there's really something about flavors I need to get to know. Huh. And so what was the next step for you to jump into now owner of, what, 21 Slapfishes? Um, yeah, well, we've got 27 nationwide, 27, excuse but it, me. it is a franchise. Um, so there are independent owner operators. We own all the stores here in Southern California. I always had an entrepreneurial drive, a spirit, right? That's what kind of connected me into the kitchen. But okay. it was that moment when I was working with the Aquarium of the Pacific in the seafood world that I realized, wow, there's a significant void in the market for well-managed, affordable, approachable seafood right i say that quality of fine dining but at the cost and convenience of faster food so my idea was well to create that model and um try and scale it sure okay so i don't want to throw anyone under the bus because that's not what i do i like good cooking myself and as a chef i don't want to like ever bash anybody but you know some foods are better than others some how about like how would you compare this to if people haven't been to slapfish how would you compare this to say like a red lobster well, we're different, right? Okay. So Red Lobster, of course, is a lot more kind of tablecloth, knife and fork. But I would say we are 
using our quality of seafood is on the level of a Four Seasons, a Ritz-Carlton, a fine dining restaurant in terms of the quality and the freshness. Our approach is more along the lines of a Shake Shack, right? Yes, that is a great, it's very hipstery. I mean, so you're kind of like, you brought the hipster vibe with fine dining, and that's kind of how I would describe this food. But the reason why I'm here is because I'm kind of fascinated about your personal story and how you've taken your love for food and obviously your love for the hospitality industry to a level, especially under the pandemic. I want to kind of just go through how you became so much a kind of a staple on Fox and on uh, and on um, Newsmax, you know, just you're, you're guesting on there. Tell me a little bit about why you're why your message is resonating with people under this pandemic? Well, there's been so many different approaches to the ways in which we can kind of try and control this virus. And of course, policy has a lot of trade-offs and unintended consequences. Yes. One of the largest unintended or intended consequences of some of the lockdowns and the restrictions has been the complete decimation of the restaurant industry. Right now, 20% of all restaurants nationwide have gone under. That's one in five restaurants that will never open again. And we're on a track right now to lose, in California alone, over a million restaurant workers over a 10-month period. Those are the direct workers, right? The indirect costs are the supply chain, the consultants, the people who provide for the restaurant industry, hospitality, et cetera. So now do that five-fold, right? Maybe yeah. five million just in California alone. And the unfortunate reality is, is that while this industry has been decimated, on the flip side, there's industries that have made millions of dollars at the expense of our demise. I've seen it. I've watched it happen. I've, it's lacked science. It's lacked authority. And it's been driven by greed, emotion, ego, whatever you want to call it. So I, I, voiced, I voiced my concerns about Give it. Give me an example of that. Because, first of all, I would agree with you. I wouldn't be interviewing you if I didn't find truth in the words that you were saying. But just give me an example of what you're saying. These industries that are making a lot of money while the hospitality industry is just literally decimated. I'll give you an example right here. If you look out our window about yeah. uh, and uh, 400 meters up the road, there's a Walmart, right? And, yeah. and going into the holidays, we were shut down. Restaurants throughout this area were not allowed to be serving anything indoors or outdoors. But yet you could go to a Walmart parking lot and see that there are thousands of people piled on top of one another. That's right. When you walk into a Walmart, you can order from the Burger King that's inside the Walmart. And you can walk around eating your Burger King without a mask on. That's right. In crowds that in, on, in a normal year, absent the pandemic, would give me anxiety, let alone in the midst of a <laughs> pandemic, yeah. right? So what, they're making billions of dollars while we're all shut down, right? The same applies for a lot of the large restaurant groups and the fast food drive throughs right now. McDonald's, right? Making millions of dollars because they're relegated. Every consumer who wants to go out to eat or have a quick meal is relegated to drive through That's right. We can't, we don't have that luxury. Yeah, you never had the infrastructure nor do you have the desire to even do pick up food. But what's it been like for you? You've actually kept your outdoor open. So how have you survived? Well, we've remained open outdoors because we firmly believe that there was never any science which justified the outdoor dining lockdown. And from the perspective, the legal perspective, that opinion was upheld by virtue of the local order in Los Angeles County where a district judge overturned the outdoor dining ban and said on the basis that there was no scientific evidence to prove that it led to any spread. Unfortunately, the outdoor dining ban was superseded 
on a local level by the state mandate. And the state mandate, obviously, is, is all-encompassing. Yeah. What we've seen now is we're nine weeks into the ban on outdoor dining, and the cases have tripled, if not quadrupled. What does that prove? That it obviously it isn't the restaurants. Yeah. It had nothing to do with the outdoor dining. It's, I said it from day one. I said the unintended consequence of re- restricting people from dining outdoors is going to drive them into indoor arenas, personal, larger arenas, underground house parties, yep. which is then going to create a much bigger spread. Sure. And look what's happened. No, so your prediction was 100% right. But you also mentioned something about... The fact that people in the hospitality industry, we understand food. We know safety. Mm-hmm. Give, me, give me your thoughts on that. Yeah, we're all trained within that serve-safe environment. So we understand about cross-contamination. We understand about cleaning as we go. We understand about maintaining a safe and sanitary environment. You don't learn those things when you work at a Target or a Walmart no. or when you work at a Costco. And that's nothing against the people who work there. But we are inherently um, adapt, adept at, excuse me. No, I got it. At maintaining that safe environment so realistically we are the you know the soldiers on the front lines of being able to maintain that healthy environment what do you think is the reason why they just wanted to shut down restaurants i know that they want to say to keep us safe i mean you don't i don't believe that you don't believe that why do you think they think that gathering as a restaurant community is just that they need to shut us down and they did the same thing with churches too yeah Well, it's easy, right? So a lot of this is about power and control, and it's about showing that you're doing something. So if we if we take all of our leaders, right, you know, apolitical, right? They all want to be able to say, "I'm making the tough decisions. I'm making the tough calls." And what drives their decisions? Well, re-election campaigns, campaign donations, etc. So they're making decisions that they claim are tough decisions, but they're doing so at the expense of small businesses. Now, why small business? Because we're not going to fight back. We don't have the cash flow to hire large corporate attorneys, nor do we have lobbyists working on our behalf that is true. in order to line the pockets or the coffers of those politicians. Absolutely. So if you look right now, the government is picking winners and losers. Who's open right now? All of the people who are donating millions of dollars to these political campaigns. Use Los Angeles as an example. The film industry is, oh. is, is complete essential, right? Yeah. They are exempted from any regulation or any re- restriction. So they can dine. They can all have cafeterias outdoors. They can do all of the things that we're not allowed to do because they're part of the entertainment industry. Well, the entertainment industry makes up 65 70% of the budget mm. in Los Angeles by virtue of the taxes and all of the campaign con- contributions, etc. They're putting people in office, mm. so they're allowed to operate. So you can tell me that, you know, some somebody... It's not essential that we need to be watching movies right now. Sure, right? sure, sure. Well... You, you are a unique person because as a chef, most people, most chefs are just in the back, and the only way that you're going to hear their opinion is if you're kind of screwing up on the line. But you actually jumped out of the kitchen and jumped on the forefront, and you're one of the few chefs who's actually out there doing something and being an advocate for it. What made you do that? And, like, tell me the actions that you're now taking to kind of spearhead help for the hospitality industry. Well, what what drove the momentum that drove me to actually want to talk and be more vocal about it outside of just my innate desire to be a big mouth was <laughs> <laughs> that there was an unspoken voice, right? Like there's Very a much. there's there's the momentum is from thousands of people who are losing their jobs, et cetera. So there was a certain point where the insanity needed to be called out. Sure. Um, and, you know, who better to do it than me? Uh, I guess. Well, you know, you're in California, for God's sakes. And I just know a lot of other chefs with huge names. They're doing nothing. Of course. 
because they it's they're in a protectionist mode right so they they're really afraid are. of and don't get me wrong like we've gotten death threats we've gotten what e- emails i like as i was just saying to you i have people that sit outside the restaurant taking photos of me to see whether i'm wearing a mask or not that they're then going to post up online all over the place you like gotta be people kidding. are coming after myself my wife because we've gone against the grain and they associate that with a much grander kind of um resistance which we're frankly not a part of i mean we're only speaking in terms of Restaurants, yes, being able to operate to keep the hospitality industry together right now. Sure, um, that has nothing to do with any of the other big picture political conversations. Absolutely, and that's what the problem is. Everything has turned political, mm-hmm. including food, which is yeah. the stupidest thing because it's the table that actually can bring two different opposing political parties together. But now, let me hear what exactly are you doing for the listeners who are listening now, Chef Andrew Gruel of Slapfish. You've got a fund. Tell us a little bit about that. So we started a fund to help struggling and out-of-work restaurant workers about, uh, gosh, probably only five weeks ago. And the goal was really just to give people a leg up. Sure. So many people this are losing their... This was like their, right before Christmas. Yeah, it was... Uh, Christmas the, in 2020. Yeah, yeah it was the yep. week leading into Christmas because what was started happening was with these new shutdowns, restaurants were shutting down left and right. Employees were left with no safety net. And the unemployment system in not just California, a lot of the states where the lockdowns exist are in a complete quagmire, gridlock, sure. right? And we just heard this morning, Fox News uh, California reported $10 billion of fraud in the unemployment benefits being shipped overseas, et cetera. So basically what's happened is, is that they've spent all the money, most of it's gone towards fraudsters, or a significant amount, and now all of us who need the help sure. are left SOL. But right. Speaker of the House has given you $600. Oh, no, 2000 And we should be grateful for it. Well, and even <laughs> that money that's going to come through in the stimulus package is going to take weeks. Of course. Right? People need money now to be able to pay rent, to be able to pay utilities, to be able to put food on the table. People's jobs were ripped out from underneath them. And many a times, these people were you know, multiple income earners. So you have a mother and a father. They each hold two jobs within the restaurant industry, and then they lose four jobs instantaneously. It's crazy. Burn through their savings in a week or two, and then that's it. There's no unemployment benefits. What is the name of the fund? And tell me how you're managing it. Uh, So the fund is called 86 Restaurant Struggle. We are, uh, the website is 86struggle.com. We're raising the money through the GoFundMe platform. We're also taking donations outside the platform. And then what we do is we take applications for people who need help. They provide evidence, you know, they provide pay stubs. We go through the whole process as we would as if we were a bank. We talk to their previous employers, we talk to them, and then we disseminate the funds in denominations of $601 up to $2,500, depending on if it's a, it's a family, multiple wage earners. $601, tell well, me that. Well, the 601 project, right? <laughs> we, can do, we can do better than $600. Oh, I'm sure. Now, that sounds like a full-time job. Yeah, it is. Um, we've distributed over $200,000 already in roughly two to three weeks. And that means we're calling everybody's previous employer. We're checking on all of their references. We're making sure their story is aligned. And then we're trying to get through the hoops of actually getting the money out. You don't know how many times our uh, how PayPal has froze our accounts. Sure. GoFundMe froze our accounts. Why? Venmo froze our accounts. Just so much transaction, oh. right? So you... Uh you have a full-time job, though. What's going on? How are you doing this? You're right. I do. I have four kids. Yeah. <laughs> and you're taking care of a wife, too. Yeah, yeah. You got That's a primary vocation. But so how is this happening? Because that is, it sounds insane. You just do it. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't have kind of a rubric by which I, I can do it. Well, you uh, kind of have a wife. Yeah. She, and Lauren is your wife, and yep. she's been kind of in a way, spearheading a lot of this. Yeah, she's doing it right alongside me. Oh so, my gosh. so we're both doing it. Um, 
figuring it out as we go. And and how many people have you helped? Do you have a kind of an understanding or um, determination? Right now it's around like 250. I think we've sent funds to over 250 um, people at this point. Okay. And so if people want to donate, they can just go to? The GoFundMe link. Um, it's just help struggling restaurant workers. Or go to the website, 86struggle.com, and then you can click struggle. through the GoFundMe on the website itself. Okay. And your ultimate desire, you're going to keep this fund going even after the pandemic ends? We're, yep. We're not going to stop with the fund. We've decided that we're going to roll this over into a 501c3. We're going we're gonna to develop it into a much larger charity where we can help out. Let's say, ideally, there's no more need. But what one need that's always existed is, is that let's talk about the fact that there's so many people within the restaurant industry that don't have health care. They don't have health insurance. Right. So we've decided that even outside of the pandemic, if it's 10 years down the road, if we need to help out those of other those people within the restaurant industry that need help, we're going to be there for them. Yeah. So a lot of people don't know this, but my organization, Table Foundation, actually tries to support two groups. One are the returning citizens, so ex-cons, work with them to get them a job. The second thing is, is hospitality industry people, because you guys work so freaking hard, and no one ever really thanks you, unless you're a celebrity chef. And no one has any clue of the kind of work that goes on back there. And so what we try to do is provide spiritual encouragement, even resources to help. That's why we are, I'm proud to say it, we're going to make a di- a $1,000 donation back to the to this fund to help other people. But what more do you think can be done at a local level because you said something earlier in a previous conversation you're not trying to be a grifter you're not trying to take other people's kind of opportunities tell me about what the hospitality industry can do in general better to help their people well first and foremost it's not always about money either right and i think that's really important to mention there's ways that you can help out your local restaurants in your own community, independent restaurants, or even just those restaurants that are doing the right thing yeah. by uh, not using money, right? So, for example, sharing a restaurant's post, engaging with their posts. The way that social media works nowadays, it's make or break with social media. Sure. Algorithms are based on engagement. So if you comment on a restaurant's post, you're increasing their ability to to kind of break through that algorithmic superhighway, right? So the more engagement, the better. Um, Yelp reviews, positive Yelp reviews, that's another great way to help local restaurants. Hmm. Buying gift cards, that's another great way. Volunteering, even stopping by the restaurant and just getting, you know, a soda, a drink, something as small as those ways that don't necessarily, doesn't cost a lot of money, it's a great way to help out restaurants. And so your desire to help is, uh, is just rooted in the fact that you are you care for your own employees. But it sounds to me like it's almost becoming a, for lack of a better term, like a, a mission for yeah. you. Yeah, yeah, that's always been, look, the, the, the family I grew up in, um, you know, it was always about helping. My father, um, you know, he, he, that's, he grew up, he grew up with the nuns. Uh, my, you know, it, it, oh, true, tell, true, oh yeah, you mentioned that you were an altar server, so we've yeah. got to hear about that. Yeah, true, st- true story. <laughs> my dad, you know, um, you know, he went to Jesuit schools his whole life and was very involved and was very, uh, you know, church was part of our upbringing, and mm. we always, you know, volunteered community service, etc. But for us in the restaurant industry specifically, there are so m- there's there are there for- the forgotten about workers, and I'm not talking about oh, myself. No, I get it. I'm talking yeah. about everybody here. I'm talking about even, even, you know, the guy who's helping out Dude, back here. Yeah, exactly. If you, if your dishes are not clean, yeah. it's because they don't feel loved and appreciated by that company. And so from top to bottom, front to back, yep. everyone is a part of this body. Yeah. Yeah. So, oh. so your, your dad got you involved in kind of service yep. and that's kind of carried on with you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And besides the restaurant kind of fund, um, 
you said you're trying to give people some encouragement to just get involved in other ways. But what about what about the 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 um, what about the people who just come to the restaurants themselves? Um, what would you say would be an appropriate support besides ordering food and giving a big tip? Uh, is there any encouragement for people to come back to restaurants? Yeah, I mean, I think number one, right now in the midst of a pandemic, you can still safely go out to eat, right, or yes, do takeout. I would avoid the third-party delivery apps because they're thirty cents on every dollar. Yeah. So is that the? Because I remember you saying something about that previously before. Yeah. What's up with that? I don't even understand how that works. Originally, the third-party delivery apps were developed to augment sales. So the pitch was, hey, you're going to lose money on this sale, but it's garnering you new business. Mm. Okay? So restaurants across the board were allocating the costs of using third-party delivery apps into their marketing costs, right? That Mm -hmm. was our marketing expense. We know we're going to lose money, but if we can get somebody to order from us through these third-party delivery apps... Then they're going to experience it for the first time and hopefully become a regular guest and then come and dine in, Uh, right? But then instantaneously, they became the, you know, the safety net for restaurants. Use third-party delivery. Use third-party delivery. Well, they were never meant to be a sustainable revenue source. Interesting. They were only meant to be five, if not seven percent of sales. Now you've got the government saying, just do delivery. I hate it. Sixty percent of sales, you can. It's not sustainable. So actually, when you order third-party delivery, you are speeding up the restaurant's demise. That's crazy. I never even thought of it that way. But you've also had the opportunity with this fund to partner with other great organizations. Tell me about the Community Burger. So our Community Burger, it's the meat is donated from West Coast Prime Meats. Craig Nickloff, phenomenal guy, um, the founder of West Coast Prime Meats. And the actual beef itself comes from a specific farm where they it's grass-fed beef. They finish it on carrots at the end, so it's got that sweet vegetal flavor. Incredibly high-quality beef. They donate all the meat to us. We do these Community Burgers, and they're free, right? So, so what? They're free. So it, let's, let's break it into two areas, right? If you've lost your job or you're struggling, you always eat for free here. All you got to do is shoot me a message. I'll take care of your meal or the community burger is free. If you want, you can leave a donation with the community burger as well. And then that goes back to our fund, 86 Restaurant Struggle. So it's a way of not just sticking out our hat and saying, hey, we're taking donations. But there's also something to be offered on our part in exchange for that donation, an unbelievable double, triple, quadruple stacked yeah. jewel-worthy burger. He gave me a quadruple. I think it was a quintuplet, actually. I think you, <laughs> I think you added an extra on there, and it was literally, it was, I was almost taller than I was, but uh, that's not saying much. But the the beef was juicy. Yeah, it was just amazing. Are there any other organizations that you're partnering up with that really need a shout out and a thank you? I mean, gosh, I mean, I mean there's, there's a bunch of people. I think Marcus Limonis, yeah. the prophet, actually did something to support you guys. As yeah, well. and, and John Gordon. John Gordon has been, uh. he's the one who really kind of in the background t- pushed me and drove me to do this. I, I was really questioning whether we should develop this fund, and he said, do it, do it, do it. Set the, set the goal higher. He's, he donated. Tell he's us about helped. John Gordon. John Gordon, I mean, the guy's an unbelievable author, best-selling mm-hmm. author, motivational speaker. He's, he lives in Florida. Um, I mean, he's across the board. He's got so he many successes. You? Through social. Is that right? I mean, yeah. this is kind of how we met. Yeah. And it kinda, as we're kind of bringing this to a close, <laughs> you get this tweet message from this priest. I mean, what was your initial thought? Like, what the heck is going on here? Nah, well, you know, I, I did my background check, so uh, <laughs> I knew that it, it was I knew that it, it was, was real. Kosher? <laughs> I knew it was real. No, it so. was very real. And I got to tell you, first of all, your food is amazing. Your service and the people that work with you, they seem pretty motivated. You kind of feel cool coming to a restaurant like this. Um, 
again, give us the name of the organization. I've just got one final question. It's uh, 86struggle.com. 86struggle.com. And then you can go to Slapfish at over 27 locations. Yes. Just give us that that background again where can they find you um so we've got six in southern california we've got two in uh albuquerque new mexico one in orlando florida we've got one in virginia uh arlington um we let me see where else oh we're in indiana indianapolis what? and on the north side um we're, we're a little you're, bit you're out there all over, uh, that's yeah. kind of crazy what's next for you what's next um well i think that you have four children yeah is there a fifth uh, no no <laughs> thank goodness my wife isn't here she'd smack me right now She'd smack me for you asking that. Um, well, I'm glad she's not here because I'd probably get smacked third party. But anyway. Yeah, well, we are at Slapfish. So, uh, you know, we just want to keep, we want to grow the organization. We want to obviously grow the brand, but we want to see if there's any other areas in which we can kind of start to pivot a little bit. Sure. Different, di- I do have a couple other brands, too, that uh, we're growing right now. So we'll see what happens. Uh, we look forward to seeing what's happening next. Final question. We've never met. Although I feel like I've known you for a while just from watching you on TV and on Instagram and on actually Twitter more than anything else. You don't know me, but I really do appreciate everything you've done. What can I as a Catholic priest do for you? How can I help? Uh, You can just pray for me. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) You don't believe that? I would pray for you. I will do that. But anything else? Uh, No, you know, just spreading the good word. I think think it's really important right now that... um, there is a rational and grounded perspective on everything happening in the world right now. So as long as you continue moving forward with that mission, right, which I see you are, then that's the best that everybody can do. Well, ration and measured along with passion and talent. And I'd also say a good soul. Chef Andrew Gruel, thank you for joining me. When we come back, I'm going to give you my carryout order. What did I learn from my deep dish discussion with Chef Andrew Gruel of Slapfish in just a moment? And welcome back to Shoot the Shiitake with me, Father Leo. And I want to thank my special guest, Chef Andrew Gruel of Slapfish. And just so impressed talking to him after we kind of closed the show. We had even a deeper dish discussion. I wish I had the cameras and the recorder going, but it was only between me and him. Amazing chef and priest. And I got to see a little bit more of his soul and and just the beauty of the goodness that he wants to do in this world with not only amazing food, but his philanthropic efforts. So here are some of my carryout orders. Number one, dads, practice your faith. If you notice, Chef Andrew gave props to his dad for giving him that discipline of faith that even though we might not be practicing perfectly now, he wants to carry on those traditions. So dads, you know, practicing your faith is a great example. That doesn't leave out mom too, but the statistics show that if dads practice their faith, there's a higher chance that their children will make that faith their own than if mom just did it herself so good for chef andrew's dad who kind of gave him the example of service hospitality and compassion i'm sure his mother did the same thing too but he attributes this to his dad's example and faithfulness the second thing he is an amazing cook he really is and he mentioned something before we even started filming because we were here not only to interview him but to film for my TV show, Savoring Our Faith on EWTN every Friday, every Sundays at 4.30 Eastern. He said that I'm going to just go in the kitchen and do my thing, but it's going to be like quicksand. He gets sucked into it. And- 